Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Tuesday, December 11th. And uh, first of all, I apologize. I haven't done a podcast in a week. Uh, I'm in the middle of finals, and it's brutal. It's killing me. Uh, but I only have two finals, which means that last week was actually where my busy part of my week was. had four projects due on Friday. It was hell. It sucked. Um, and I want to talk about the Vikings in a second, but I watched Monday Night Football last night, and I had this brief thought I wanted to share with you guys. Um, look, I don't – I say a lot of dumb things, and I don't like criticizing broadcasters. But my goodness, uh, the broadcasters on Monday Night Football are just – it, it's not working. It, they're, they're so bad. I'm, uh, Jason Witten seems like a great guy. Um, it, their chemistry is off. It's uncomfortable to listen to. They're just not, not enjoyable, not good at all. And uh, I know it's weird because you could probably – someone could troll could be like, yeah, I feel the same way about you, Zach. But I, I just personally do not at all enjoy Monday Night Football. I, I listen on mute. I don't ever listen to football on mute. And so, um, man, Monday Night Football, their broadcasting is not working. I want to talk about the Vikings. Um, when the Vikings season came to an end last year, there was kind of a, a consensus around the league. This is a really good roster that just needs a better quarterback. Give them a better quarterback, and the Vikings could win all their big games, maybe a Super Bowl. Last year, their quarterback was Case Keenum. And I said, ah, we want to upgrade. You're not enough. So they let Case Keenum walk, and the Vikings signed Kirk Cousins to be their quarterback. He'd never won a playoff game, but he had good numbers. And, uh, you know, the feeling was, well, he never got the support he really needed with his former team in Washington. So the Vikings gave Kirk Cousins a massive contract. Three years, $84 million, fully guaranteed. It was unheard of. And many people were excited by this. They said, wow, the Vikings are suddenly a Super Bowl contender. I was actually one of the few people that said, ah, slow your brakes. Give them a year. Give the Vikings a year to figure things out. But I thought, you know, they're gonna, they need some time. I had modest expectations for the Vikings. But I, I thought they were going to be a good team at the very least. And, uh, man, it's been ugly. So before the year, I outlined eight what I called big games for the Vikings schedule. So, you know, they play the Packers twice, the Bears twice, the Rams, the Eagles, the Saints, and the Patriots. These are their eight, quote, big games. The Vikings have played seven of their eight, quote, big games, and they're now two, four, and one. They have a losing record in those games. And it appears I missed one, by the way. The Seahawks are actually seem to be a playoff team far better than I expected. If I'd known that, I would have said the Seahawks game is also a, quote, big game. And they lost to the Seahawks last night. The Vikings lost 21 to 7. And, and they, they should not have scored even seven points. They got kind of a, a thanks for playing touchdown right at the end. It's ugly. The Vikings are 6-6-1, six, six, and one, and it appears they cannot beat a good team. So what have we learned? Well, it appears that common belief that the Vikings are a good roster that just needs a quarterback to put them over the hump. You know, sign Kirk Cousins, they'll be contenders. Sadly, it's just not true. It's wrong. The, Kirk Cousins has not been enough to help the Vikings this year. Now, it's, it's not all Kirk Cousins' fault. You can't pin it all on just the quarterback. Sometimes it's his fault. Sometimes he plays really bad. Sometimes he plays really good. You got bad Kirk and good Kirk. Here are some examples of good Kirk. When the Vikings lost to the Rams 31-38, to 
Kirk Cousins was not only really good, he was encouraging. He was 36 for 50 passing, 72% completion percentage, 422 yards, three touchdowns. Highly encouraging. And then against the Eagles, Kirk Cousins was brilliant. 30 for 37 passing, three touchdowns. Sorry, excuse me, one touchdown, but 301 yards. They beat the Eagles. It was a close game, like 23 to 21. And Kirk was fantastic. That's good Kirk. But then you have bad Kirk against the Patriots and the Bears. In both games, he threw two interceptions. And against the Bears, he actually threw the game-ending pick six that lost the Vikings the game. And last night, again, we saw bad Kirk. Kirk Cousins struggled against the Seattle Seahawks. He lost a fumble that gave the Seahawks the go-ahead touchdown. The, not the go-ahead touchdown, the game-clinching touchdown. He's just been disappointing all year. He's not lived up to the massive contract he signed. Again, it's not all his fault, but we've had bad Kirk and good Kirk all season. Well, last night after the game, you know, this morning it was released, the Vikings fired their offensive coordinator, John DiFilippo. And, and it was not a secret. The Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer, and him just seemed to not gel. They did not get along very well. Mike Zimmer is an old-school defensive-minded coach. He wanted to run the football. That's not what John DiFilippo does. They never got along very well. Vikings are 30th out of 32 teams in the NFL in rushing. They're not running the ball well. And here's why that's an issue. The reason why not being able to run the ball is a problem for the Vikings is they repeatedly get into third and long. They're facing long third downs, third and nine, third and 11, third and 12. That's just a few from last night. It's not good. They get behind in the down. They have to throw on third and long repeatedly. That's why the Vikings are 22nd out of 32 teams in third down conversion percentage. They're not keeping good company. There's not a single good team around them that's going to make the playoffs. You can't be that bad at third down conversions and expect to have a great year. And the reason why, again, the Vikings are doing so poorly on third down is because they're constantly in third and long because they are 31st in the league in rushing and they're third in the league in passing. They're throwing the ball a ton and they're hardly running the ball and they're struggling. They're getting behind. So John DiFilippo was fired not just because he threw the ball a ton and rarely ran the ball, but because it really hurt the Vikings. Again, constantly being on third and long is not good for the defense, not good for their offense, because the defense, you have short possessions, it's not good for anybody. And, and Kirk has been all over the place this season. Again, bad Kirk, good Kirk. Sometimes he's brilliant, sometimes he's terrible. But what we learned this year from the Vikings, that belief that all the Vikings need is a quarterback. You get Kirk Cousins and all your problems will be solved. It's not true. Sorry, but it's simply not true. Now, again, a lot of the problems the Vikings have had fall on the scheme, coaching. But I'm really curious to see how the Vikings change things up and come away with a different game plan in the future. I don't know. But I, I know the Vikings have two more years with Kirk Cousins. They're paying him $84 million guaranteed this year, next year, and the year after that. And so they're not going to move on from Kirk. And they still have a really talented roster. They got to get him a coach that helps Kirk win. He did well with Sean McVay. I don't know what the deal is, uh, but something needs to change. Maybe the offensive coordinator is the problem. Uh, but again, a lot of it's Kirk. He's got really good moments and really bad moments. And he's not living up to the contract he signed. Okay, we have a really good show today. I'm going to start in a minute with my favorite story of the year. Uh, there's a story 
in football that I think is just fantastic. But later, we're going to talk about Urban Meyer stepping down. We'll talk about the Heisman Trophy. We'll talk about Kelly Bryant transferring to Mizzou. Kind of update you guys on Lamar Jackson. How's Lamar Jackson playing? We'll talk about Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback from Auburn, deciding to go to the NFL a little bit early. We'll do the Deadly Dozen, and we'll finish the show with quick opinions. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. This next story I I find highly relatable. I think you guys might too. It's not because it's necessarily a... I found a way to really personalize it, but in general, I mean, we've all been in a bad place and we've all maybe not handled it very well. One of the moments I had in my life where I was just in a, in a situation that was not ideal, I didn't handle it very well, was my freshman year of college. So my freshman year of college, I was a backup quarterback in college. And uh, I did not handle it well at all. I have tremendous regret for the way I acted in that situation. I was backed into a corner, and uh, you know I just did not handle an, a, a situation that was not ideal to me. I didn't handle it very well. I'm not proud of how I responded at all. I gave up on football. I left. And I learned what a backup quarterback should look like by watching the New York Jets backup quarterback this year, Josh McCown. Josh McCown's the backup quarterback. He's there to help Sam Darnold, their starting quarterback, develop. And he got the gears turning in my head while I was watching Josh McCown. He was a starter last year. He lost his job as a starting quarterback to a rookie, Sam Darnold. But he was completely gracious. And he's been helping Sam Darnold develop, showing tremendous maturity and acting kind of like a quarterback coach for Sam Darnold. And that leads me to what I think is the best story of the year. It started when I saw Josh McCown as a great backup. But here is what I'm about to tell you, and this is why I think this story is so great. And I think it goes beyond just sports. This story is about Jalen Hurts. Last year, Jalen Hurts was Alabama's starting quarterback. He led them all the way to the national championship. He was fantastic. Had a solid year. He's 24-2 and as a starter. And in the national championship, Alabama's playing Georgia. Jalen Hurts was playing poorly. He got benched. He got his job taken away from him. And so Tua Tungavaloa came in, at quarterback, and dominated. Tua led Alabama to a come-from-behind victory, and uh, it, it was uh, exciting for Tua. The coolest part about it, though, was the way that Jalen Hurts handled that. Jalen Hurts stood on the sideline and cheered on his teammates. Wasn't mad, wasn't bitter. His moment got taken away from him. He was embarrassed. He got benched. I would have been embarrassed. And that he handled it with grace and maturity. He had class. He was rooting for his teammate, the backup quarterback who he got benched for. I thought that was incredible. So Bama wins a national championship. They beat Georgia. And everyone kind of assumes, at least I did, that you know Jalen Hurts is now going to transfer. That was last year. They win the national championship. He loses his job. Okay, well now it's time for Jalen Hurts to leave. Jalen Hurts, is uh, he's going to go somewhere. He can be the starting quarterback. That makes sense. I mean, his competition, by the way, Tua, is incredible. Tua is now a Heisman finalist. Now, let me tell you about a parallel we saw. We saw, Tua, we saw Jalen Hurts lose his job to Tua, and we kind of all assumed yeah, he's going to transfer. Here's why, though. 
Georgia had a similar situation where their starting quarterback, Jacob Eason, got hurt, lost his job. Backup quarterback, Jake Frum, comes in, does fantastic. He, he kept the job. And Jacob Eason said, you know, I'm going to transfer. After the national championship ended last year, Jacob Eason transferred to the University of Washington so he could have a chance to become the starter. Earlier this year, Kelly Bryant, the Clemson quarterback, lost his job, transferred to Missouri because he wanted a chance to play. It's what everybody does. Everybody transfers when they don't have their shot. It was safe to assume, yeah, Jalen Hurts is going to do the same thing. It's what everybody does. I even played up the narrative. I was stupid enough. I played up this narrative. I said it looks like Nick Saban is manipulating Jalen Hurts. The Alabama quarterback competition was drawn out, and I said, look, of course, Nick Saban's drawing this out because it benefits him to manipulate Jalen Hurts into staying because having two capable quarterbacks would really help Alabama. I said, Nick Saban is giving Jalen Hurts false hope, and I was wrong. I was stupid. I was wrong. None of that was true. Fake news, just completely wrong. Jalen Hurts chose to stay at Alabama. He made a conscious decision. In spite of the fact he might not be the starting quarterback, he chose to stay and fight. Win with grace, lose with grace. Well, Jalen Hurts lost. He lost Alabama's starting quarterback competition. And again, Tua became the starting quarterback. Dominated, became a Heisman finalist. Jalen Hurts took a back seat, wasn't on anybody's radar. And then in the SEC championship game against Georgia, Tua got hurt. Enter Jalen Hurts, the guy who was benched a year ago against the very same team. The weirdest part about this. I love this story because, and I'll get to it in a minute. If you wrote the script and turned it into a Hollywood producer, they'd laugh at you. This isn't possible. This doesn't happen. No one would believe this. So against the very same team that he got benched against last year, Jalen Hurts this time comes off the bench, scored two touchdowns, and brought his team from behind to beat Georgia. He led Alabama to victory over Georgia in the SEC championship game. Same team as last year. It's weird. I don't understand. Kind of hilarious, but fantastic. I love it. Unbelievable. It's the best story of the year so far. But here's why. It's the grace, the class, the maturity that Jalen Hurts had in this situation. He's in a rough situation. No longer the starting quarterback. I lost my job. But, but I'm going to have a positive attitude through all of it. That's what Jalen Hurts did. That I think is so fantastic. All year we saw Jalen Hurts celebrate with Tua. Tua Tungavaloa, Heisman finalist. Jalen Hurts did nothing but celebrate him, encourage him, motivate him, and support his teammate. Again, I was a backup quarterback my freshman year of college. I had no idea what I was doing. I did not handle it very well. I didn't know how to encourage. I didn't know how to celebrate somebody else's success. Watching Jalen Hurts is so cool to see. Jalen Hurts and Josh McCown, those two combined. Watching them, I learned what a backup quarterback is supposed to do. You encourage and you help the starting quarterback because that's what helps your team. Jalen Hurts is an example to everybody, not just you, not just me, not just people who are backup quarterbacks. He's an example of how to deal with a situation that's not ideal. Having a good attitude, encouraging people, being positive, not getting angry when things don't go your way. It's so cool to me. And here's what I'm not saying. I don't want to get my message confused. I'm not saying let yourself be walked over. 
I'm not saying give up and just do what Jalen Hurts did. If you want to play, go play. Transferring. There's nothing wrong with transferring. Nothing wrong with Kelly Bryant or Jacob Eason. But I respect what Jalen Hurts did so much. Most backups like Jalen Hurts will never get their chance. Jalen Hurts got lucky that he got an opportunity to play late in the year. Most guys, you get benched, you're just the backup forever. You never get another shot. There's not a formula. You don't just get to be the good guy, and eventually you win. It's not how it works. But in this case, it did work that way. Jalen Hurts was the good guy. Nothing but positive, encouraging, and supportive, and it worked. It's so cool. What we can say about Jalen Hurts, there's no formula for your personal success, but if you want to be part of a team, Jalen Hurts is a shining example of how to do that. And that's what I love. Fight hard. And if you lose, you lose with grace. Jalen Hurts' attitude in a tough situation just uh, encourages me, inspires me. I think a lot of people are going to use his story as an example and other things. You know, pastors, business leaders, motivational speakers, football coaches, baseball coaches, basketball, everybody. Jalen Hurts is an example from, for people in all walks of life how to be positive in a tough situation. I think it's so cool. And that, that's why I love this story. I think it's, it's my favorite story I've seen all year in, in any sport, basketball, football, baseball, regardless. Watching what Jalen Hurts has done and the attitude he had in a tough situation. Handling adversity with grace and class. Um, it's fantastic. I, I genuinely think it's awesome. It's cool he was ready for his moment when he got one. Uh, but he might not have ever gotten a moment. And regardless, it's, it's cool to celebrate Jalen Hurts, the attitude he's had, the way he celebrated with his teammates and supported his teammates is so cool. That is how you play the role of a backup quarterback. Everybody look to Jalen Hurts forever. If you're ever benched, you ever lose your job, you ever lose your spot, look to Jalen Hurts and try to do what he did. Because, man, that's maturity right there. That's so cool to me. That's my favorite story in sports all year. Okay, before we go to break, I want to talk about two more other things. Um, I, I can't talk today. Two more other things. That's what, Who knows? Um, <clears throat> so, Ohio State's head coach, Urban Meyer, just announced he's going to step down after the Rose Bowl. He's no longer going to be Ohio State's head coach. And uh, I, I have two responses to this I want to talk about. First of all, give him three years. He's going to be back. He cited a a medical issue for him stepping down. I don't know. I think that, you know, in three years from now, if USC's head coaching job opens up, you're going to tell me Urban Meyer's not going to be a candidate. I don't buy it. I think Urban Meyer at some point is going to come back to coaching. But I don't really care about Urban Meyer. This, this story to me was not an Urban Meyer story. It's really a Michigan football story. When I heard that Urban Meyer, Ohio State's head coach, was stepping down, I was excited for Michigan football. This is the best win for Michigan football in years. Their major roadblock is out of the way. I'm not saying Ohio State's going to be bad, but you ever heard of a politician running unopposed where you have a shot and no one even challenges you? That's what's going to happen for Michigan in the coming years, I think. They have not been able to get past Urban Meyer and Ohio State. Michigan football does great every year. Ten wins, three of the four years Jim Harbaugh's been there. But every year, Michigan's overshadowed by Urban Meyer and Ohio State. It seems like that's going to end. That's why, you know, the whole story behind Urban Meyer stepping down, it's not about Ohio State. It's not about Urban Meyer. It's about the other guys, Ohio, Michigan football. Michigan football can now have a chance to win the Big Ten. 
I would have I would have enjoyed seeing Jim Harbaugh finally beat Urban Meyer. I guess it's not going to happen, but I think that we're going to see a lot of dominance come out of Michigan football now in the future in the Big Ten because their major roadblock is out of the way. That is why it's a big deal, Urban Meyer stepping down. It's not about Ohio State. It's about Michigan football and now the fact they have hope to win the Big Ten. And, and there's more pressure now, too. If Urban Meyer, sorry, if Jim Harbaugh, Michigan's football coach, still can't beat Michigan, can't beat Ohio State, he's out. Again, there's that rivalry, Michigan-Ohio State. If Michigan football still can't beat Ohio State, even with their head coach, Urban Meyer, gone, I think Jim Harbaugh's days will be numbered in Michigan. Final thing before we go to break. Um, Kelly Bryant. Who's Kelly Bryant? Kelly Bryant is a former Clemson quarterback who lost his job to Trevor Lawrence, a freshman at Clemson this year. When he lost his job, Kelly Bryant said, I'm going to transfer. He redshirted. And left the program, he's transferring to, now we found, he's transferring to Missouri. And a lot of people in the media have said, oh, it's a huge deal. And I just don't, I don't buy it. I think the media is really desperate for stories to talk about. Um, but unless you're in Missouri, Kelly Bryant going to that school is not a big deal. I'm sorry, it's not. Here's the story. Missouri now has a quarterback. Congratulations. Um, I, I don't see Kelly Bryant winning a national championship at Missouri. I don't see him winning a Heisman. I don't see this being that great of a big... It's not a huge deal to me. I just, sorry, it's not. I think Here's my prediction. Missouri's going to go 9-3. and three. Uh, they, they have a lighter schedule in the SEC. And good for them. That's awesome. Um, I've heard from a handful of friends who work for North Carolina. So the thing was, it came down to North Carolina. He took a couple visits there. Kelly Bryant took a couple visits to Missouri. And I guess supposedly Auburn was in the running. They had a quarterback at the time. I don't believe that necessarily. But my friends at North Carolina said he was kind of a pain in the butt, kind of full of himself, looking for attention. Uh, and that's not what I want from a quarterback, first of all, but I won't hold it against him. He lost his job to a freshman. He wants a bit of an ego boost, sure. Uh, but I think Kelly Bryant chose Missouri because they were the ones who promised him the most. They said, we love you. Come here. We'll give you everything you want. You'll be our starting quarterback. That, that's why I think Kelly Bryant chose Missouri. And I think it was a good move. But Missouri, it's the right choice. They have good players. Running back Larry Roundtree comes back. He's in a thousand-yard rusher last year, 10 touchdowns. Missouri has a couple solid receivers. Derek Dooley, the former Tennessee head coach, is their play caller. It's all around great. But, I mean, Kelly Bryant, it's not some amazing star. He's not going to win a Heisman Trophy. He's not... The media, when this happened, everyone's like, oh, Kelly Bryant finally made his choice. And I'm like, who cares? I, I just, it's not a big deal to me. Kelly Bryant's a marginal quarterback. He's a starting quarterback. But he's not incredible. He's not amazing. I don't know. I think Missouri's going to be all right. They'll be 9-3, and three, maybe 8-4. and four. They have a tough stretch. They play at Kentucky, then at Georgia. Florida comes to Missouri. That's a tough three-game stretch. But Kelly Bryant's an average quarterback with average arm strength, Average ball location. He's an average athlete. He can run a little bit, but he's not Lamar Jackson. I, don't, I think people, when I saw Kelly Bryant chose the school, he chose Missouri. It just seemed like this was such a, it trumped up. It's not that big a deal. It's not the incredible thing everyone's acting like. Yes, Missouri got a starting quarterback. Great. But unless you're in Missouri, it doesn't matter because he's not going to be nationally relevant next year. It's, I hate to say this. It's kind of like when Gardner Minshew the Washington State quarterback transferred there. Nobody cared because, sorry, it's not a big... He, he did good in the Pac-12. That's cool. 
But nationally relevant, not really. I don't know. I don't know. I, I do think, again, I want to say Kelly Bryant made the right choice. His schools came down to supposedly Auburn, uh, but they had to wait for Jared Stidham's decision to go to the NFL, North Carolina, and Missouri. He chose the right school. Missouri is a good school to play for. They're in the lighter side of the SEC, got a, a manageable schedule, and a couple good athletes. Kelly Bryant's going to have fun. He's going to start. I'm happy for him. But it's, everyone made it seem like this giant deal. It's, it's Sadly, it's not. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback from Auburn, going to the NFL. He made a decision to leave early. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Lamar Jackson. We'll talk about the Heisman Trophy. We'll do quick opinions. First of all, why should the Giants trade for Joe Flacco? I think it's interesting. We'll talk about that. And then we'll finish the show with Deadly Does. And remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, Auburn quarterback Jarrett Stidham recently announced he's going to be entering the NFL draft. I think it's a weird decision. I don't know why he decided to do this. Uh, he's only a junior, which means he had one year left if he wanted to stay. And when I watch Jarrett Stidham play football, I see a guy who's not ready to move up to the NFL. Very weird to me. Makes a lot of bad decisions. Very irresponsible to football. Again, throws many interceptions. Had only five this year. Should have been more. The lots were dropped. I think it's odd to leave. I don't know. He's got solid arm strength. He's good, not great. Kind of, you know, Drew Locke's better. He's got, I guess you could say that Jarrett Stidham has better arm strength than Will Greer, that West Virginia quarterback. The West Virginia quarterback is far more polished. Uh, it's just, it's confusing to me. I don't know why Jarrett Stidham decided to go to the NFL. And maybe this, I wonder if frustration played a part. You know, Jarrett Stidham did not have a lot of help at Auburn. You know, as receivers dropped a lot of passes, they wouldn't make plays at the ball. Maybe he got tired of playing with a bad team. I don't know. Maybe it was business. Maybe Jared Stidham said, look, I'm ready to go make money in the NFL. Maybe the thought process was, well, you know, if I, right now, Jared Stidham is the second or third best quarterback in the draft. And if he waited another year, he would be far more down, farther down the list. Maybe that's the thought process. I don't know. I don't know that Jared Stidham's ready for the NFL. And it's very, it's just weird to me. Two quarterbacks at the top of the draft that need quarterbacks are the Jaguars and the Giants. And I just, the Giants better hope they get Drew Locke because Jarrett Stidham would not work in New York. In fact, I would think, I think a lot of teams might pass on Jarrett Stidham because he's just not ready. And, you know, he's, he feels like a trap. He feels like EJ Manuel when the Bills drafted EJ Manuel really high in the draft. I just don't see Jarrett Stidham being ready to be an NFL quarterback. I could be wrong. Maybe he gets a great coach and surprises everybody. But I, I don't. I'm not real high on this. You know, I think Jared Stidham could use a year behind a quarterback like Eli Manning or Phillip Rivers or Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Uh, he's not ready to play right away. And it's just a very, oh, man, it's weird to me. I don't understand why he left. I thought he could have used at least another year of college, and I still don't think he would be a great quarterback after that. Maybe he decided he wanted better coaching. Who knows? Um, but, I, again, I, the, the message of this process is I don't understand why Jarrett Stidham left college football early to enter the NFL. I, I just can't understand it. I guess he wanted money. I guess he was ready to move on from Auburn. But from an NFL passing standpoint, Jarrett Stidham's not ready. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. 
Lamar Jackson has now played four games in the NFL, started four games in the NFL. And we talked earlier, I made a video of talking about Lamar Jackson's first and second start. I want to now talk about his third and fourth starts in the NFL. He played the Falcons last week. He just played the Chiefs. And uh, we've learned a lot more about Lamar Jackson in the last couple games. So his third start against the Falcons was actually his most disappointing game he's played in the NFL. Not great. The Ravens won 26-16, but Lamar Jackson looked really gun-shy. It was a... Uh, not pretty. He looked hesitant. He had guys open. In the NFL, the standard is if you beat a man by a step, you're open. And Lamar Jackson had guys open and simply didn't throw the ball. He looked hesitant and he didn't pull the trigger. He also had two fumbles. He wasn't sliding. He took a lot of hits and he missed a lot of throws with inaccuracy. It was hard to watch. Lamar Jackson's third start in the NFL was probably his worst and it, it wasn't great. He had windows between linebackers where guys were open and he wouldn't throw the ball. He'd just look at it and move away and then try to extend the ball, the, the play by running. It wasn't, wasn't a good start for him. But here's why that happened. The Ravens called a lot more challenging and more advanced play calls. They called more complicated passing concepts down the field. I think the Ravens' thought process was, we are going to challenge Lamar Jackson with our play calling in this game. So Lamar struggled, but I think it was a necessary step for him to struggle. He had to learn these lessons now. Now, his fourth game, so game three against the Falcons, really ugly, his most disappointing start. Game four, he clearly watched all of film from game three and learned. He, he made progression. That was encouraging to me. Here's what we saw in game four. Against the Chiefs, right off the bat, Lamar Jackson had Michael Crabtree beat a man by one step on a comeback, a tight window, pulled the trigger, hit the, hit the pass. We saw Lamar Jackson in game four get faster reading progressions, less hesitation. He actually had two touchdowns throwing. We saw progress. That's what you want to see from Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson week to week has gotten better and better and better. Again, his third start was ugly and not great, but they won, and they called more complicated passing stuff. And week two of the complicated passing stuff, his fourth start, they kept it up with the complicated passing concepts, and he was finally able to adjust and pull the trigger on guys who are open. As a passer, Lamar Jackson is getting better and better every single week. He's still running too much. Here's the concern with Lamar Jackson. He takes way too many hits. He's getting nailed for like only two and three yard gains. It's not worth it. A two yard gain with Lamar Jackson and getting whacked is just not worth it for him. He's not a running back. And at the end of the game last week against the Chiefs, Lamar Jackson was knocked out of the last two plays of the game because he got hurt. And so I, I don't know. I'm excited to see how Lamar Jackson develops. He's getting better as a passer. But again, he's still taking way too many hits for me to be comfortable with him being my starting quarterback. So uh, it's working. You know, He's 3-1 and one as a starter. He's getting better at throwing the ball. But I think the Ravens need to tone it down with him running the football. They're calling too many quarterback-designed runs. And they got to tell the guy to get down and slide. He's getting hit far too much for me to be comfortable with. So that's my opinion on Lamar Jackson. I like him. Encouraging, getting hit too much. <clears throat> on Saturday, Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy. And it, first of all, it's crazy that two Oklahoma quarterbacks have won the Heisman in back-to-back years. That's just bizarre to me. Really, it's credit to Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma's head coach. He's doing a fantastic job with quarterbacks. But also credit to Kyler Murray. He deserved it. My opinion is that Kyler Murray absolutely deserved the Heisman Trophy. I think to his final game against Georgia hurt him, 
Uh, and I think, frankly, Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback, had no shot. The, the Heisman Trophy came down to Tua Tungavaloa and Kyler Murray. Now, if you look at the season stats, it shows that Kyler Murray might have deserved it. That's not necessarily why I think he won, but let's compare their season stats first. Kyler Murray had better all-around stats. He had 4,053 yards passing. Tua had 3,353, about 700 less. Kyler Murray had a 70% completion percentage. Tua had 67. Kyler Murray had more passing touchdowns, 40 to passing touchdowns at 37. And look, Kyler Murray ran the ball better. Kyler Murray had 892 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns. In contrast, Tua Tungavaloa only had 190 yards rushing and five touchdowns. But it's not all about stats. Yes, if you compare the season stats, Kyler Murray's stats were better. But I think the voters decided to look at who had the worst game. If you look at, you take, uh, who, whose worst game was the worst? So what I mean by that is Tua's worst game was worse than Kyler's worst game. They both had a bad game, but Kyler Murray's bad game, quote-unquote, was actually pretty good, while Tua's bad game was pretty bad. Tua Tungavaloa's worst game was against Georgia in the SEC Championship game. He was 10 for 25 passing, had 164 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and he looked bad. He just did not look well. He also had negative 21 yards rushing. Now, Kyler Murray's, quote, bad game, his worst game of the year, was against Texas Tech. Kyler Murray was 20 for 35 passing, had a 57% completion percentage, 360 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Oh, and by the way, 100 yards rushing with another rushing touchdown. That's his bad game. (laughs) That's what I think the voters went with. They said, okay, whose worst is the worst? Whose worst is, where are you at your worst? Kyler Murray's worst game was still a pretty good game, where Tua's worst game was actually a pretty bad game. That's why I think Kyler Murray deserved the Heisman. He had better total stats, but again, his worst moment, his lowest moment, was better than Tua's lowest moment. And that's why Kyler won the Heisman. Let's do quick opinions. This is quick opinions. What I do is, I, it's a couple things I don't have enough to build full segments around, so I throw them all together and talk about them kind of in like rapid fire. The first thing I want to talk about is the Raiders fired their general manager, Reggie McKenzie. I think it's funny. A lot of people are curious who the Raiders are going to hire next to be their general manager. I want to make a prediction. Nobody. The Raiders will not hire a new general manager. That's my opinion and my prediction. I think John Gruden likes doing things his way. He's not going to hire a new general manager. John Gruden is going to assume the role of a a general manager for the time being. Another story I want to talk about, the Big Ten is considering removing divisions. So right now, the way the Big Ten works is you have the Big Ten East, in the Big Ten West. The winner of the East and the winner of the West play each other in the Big Ten Championship game. This year, we got Ohio State versus Northwestern. Even though Penn State and Michigan had better records than Northwestern. So I think the idea to remove conferences, what that would do is your conference championship would come down to the teams of the two best records. This year, it would have been Michigan and Ohio State. And I think it's a good idea. You want to pin the two best teams against each other. I like that. But if you're going to do that, you really have to massively overhaul the way you schedule games. For example, on November 24th, Michigan played Ohio State. A week later on December 1st, you had the Big Ten Championship game. So the way it would have worked this year, if you removed divisions, you would have had Michigan and Ohio State play each other on back-to-back weeks. 
It's not good. There's no motivation on the 24th because, you know, the next week you're still just going to play each other anyways in the championship game. That's the problem with not with removing divisions is you have weird, complicated things like that happening where, for example, in the Pac-12, the two best teams, the two teams with the best records were Washington and Washington State. Washington State was 10-2. and two. University of Washington was 9-3. and three. They played each other on the last week of the season. And if they had no conferences, they would have played each other again a week later in the conference championship. That's the problem. If you're going to remove divisions, you also have to change the way you schedule your season. <clears throat> Some people have said, you know, the Redskins lost their lead in the NFC East. And there's speculation that they may fire their head coach, Jay Gruden. I think that's nonsense. I want to say this right now. The Redskins should not fire their head coach, Jay Gruden. They were leading their division before Alex Smith got hurt. It would be very weird to fire their head coach. And I think the problem is you can't judge a coach that doesn't have a quarterback. It's not fair. you got to give a coach a quarterback before you decide to fire them or hire them. And remember, starting quarterback Alex Smith broke his leg, and then Colt McCoy, the backup quarterback, also hurt his leg. So you're at your third-string quarterback, and that's why the Redskins are struggling so much. It's not fair, and, and not that the NFL is fair, but it'd be ridiculous to fire Jay Gruden because they weren't winning with backup to the backup quarterback. There's a new stadium going into LA, and my opinion is they need to start a new bowl game there. I look at some of the locations for these bowl games, and remember, these bowl games happen in December when it's cold and snowy outside. And people, fans of Iowa, fans of Nebraska, they have families that want to take their family to a bowl game. I think they need to start a new bowl game at the new LA stadium. Some of these places, these destinations are like, miserably cold why would you want to go to i don't want to say names i think it's offensive to certain people but podunk nowhere where it's still snowing if i'm leaving my house in december to take my family to a bowl game i want to go somewhere warm somewhere nice with a good destination i think vegas is a good spot especially with the new stadium they're building i think la needs to have a new bowl game built into the ram stadium because that's a good destination i would want to take my family in december to watch football the giants should trade for joe flacco I think the answer to the Giants' quarterback problems is not in the NFL draft. I think the quarterbacks kind of suck in the NFL draft. And I think the Giants should trade for Joe Flacco. And that's silly. I felt weird about it at first, too. But here's the thought process. Joe Flacco's better than Eli Manning. He can actually throw the ball downfield. He can give Saquon Barkley help. He can give Odell Beckham Jr. chances down the field. But more than that, I think the Ravens would be willing to do the trade. They have a massive contract they owe Joe Flacco. They're willing to get rid of Joe Flacco to get rid of that contract. I think the Giants should welcome a trade with, for Joe Flacco. They should do it. Um, you know, I, The only wild card here is, is Joe Flacco motivated? If you don't think you can help Joe Flacco, it's just a Joe Flacco problem. The Giants, if they believe in their coaching, and you look at the way Joe Flacco throws the football, he works in New York, and I think the Giants should absolutely make a move to go get Joe Flacco. Last story of the day for quick opinions. Josh Gordon was traded to the New England Patriots earlier this year. And uh, remember, Josh Gordon has documented drug issues. He cites Tom Brady as someone who's really helped him in New England. And when I hear that, it's really encouraging because that shows me that Tom Brady is really helping Josh Gordon not only get over his problem, but kind of acclimate to things in New England. That's the major difference between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. The main difference is leadership. We've seen all kinds of shots this year of Aaron Rodgers glaring at people, looking really upset or angry on the sideline. Sorry to say this, but you would not see that from Tom Brady. This doesn't happen because Tom Brady's a far better leader 
than Aaron Rodgers. Compare on the field all you want. That's the ma- If you're looking for a major difference and a major flaw when you compare Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, that's the difference. Tom Brady is a far better leader than Aaron Rodgers. Guys, that's been Quick Opinions. I want to move on to the last thing of the day. <clears throat> this is the Deadly Dozen. I do this every week. Instead of doing power rankings, my problem with the power rankings is, for example, last year the Chargers were at the top of everybody's power rankings. They didn't even make the playoffs. And so I don't like talking about really good teams that are hot at the end but don't have any consequence because they're not going to make the playoffs. These are my deadly dozen, my 12 playoff teams. I want to start in the NFC wild card. First of all, I think the Seahawks are going to make one of the wild card spots in the NFC. They're 8-5. and They just beat the Vikings. They're running the ball really well. Play solid defense. I think they're the way they play, the style of play for the Seattle Seahawks is going to tremendously help them in cold weather. In December, in Chicago and Seattle, that's a game, a rematch I want to watch really badly. But uh, I know Russell Wilson's having a really boring season, but he does exactly what he needs to win. I think the Seahawks, eight and five, they are a playoff team. Here's what's more interesting is the last spot, the last spot in the NFC for the playoffs. It's going to come down to the Vikings or the Panthers. The Vikings are 6-6-1. Six, six, and one. The Panthers are 6-7. and seven. If you look at the final three games, though, for both teams, the Vikings play the Dolphins, the Lions, and the Bears. I think it's very possible that after the final three games, or in the final three games, the Vikings go 1-2 and two and finish 7-8-1. and one. Dolphins are a good team. The Bears are a great team. And remember, the Vikings just fired their offensive coordinator. I'm not really confident the Vikings are going to have a, a great end of the year. In contrast, the Panthers play the Saints, the Falcons, and the Saints. I, first of all, division games are a big deal. I think if you can beat the Falcons, but you play the Saints twice in three weeks, I think you're going to split that. There's no way the Saints dominate the Panthers in th- twice in three weeks. I just don't see that happening. I think normally when you play a team two times in three weeks, you split the series. And so I think the Falcons are, I think the Panthers are going to finish eight and eight, go two and one to finish the year in the final three games. I think the Panthers are going to grab the final wild card spot in the NFC. Again, my deadly dozen, my six playoff teams in the NFC go as follows. The Saints, the Rams, the Bears, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and the Panthers. How about in the wild card for the AFC? The AFC is kind of weird because it's basically all squared away. The Chiefs, the Patriots, the Texans, the Steelers, and the Chargers, those, they're not going to change. But there's one spot left I think is really interesting. First of all, a lot of people are mad. I said the Steelers. I don't think the Steelers are going to get challenged. The Ravens are there. They have a rookie quarterback. I don't believe the Ravens are good enough to usurp the Steelers' final spot in the AFC North. But the final wild card spot is going to come down to three teams. The Ravens, the Dolphins, or the Colts. Start with the, I think the Ravens are out. I love the Ravens. They have a rookie quarterback, Lamar Jackson. But their final three games are against the Buccaneers, who have a great defensive line, the Chargers, a playoff team, and the Browns have a really good defense that's got great linebackers and great pursuit. And that Lamar Jackson's going to struggle against that defense. I think it's very possible that the Ravens, they've been done well so far. They could finish 0-3 in the final three games because of the defenses they play. I don't think that I think the Ravens might struggle. So the final wild card spot in the AFC is going to come down to two different teams. The Dolphins or the Colts. Now the Dolphins play the Vikings, the Jaguars, and the Bills at Buffalo. I think the the, the final game for the Miami Dolphins, that's a loss right off the bat. You play at Buffalo in the snow, that's not a good look. I think they, beat the, I think they can beat the Vikings. The Jaguars game is going to be really interesting. 
Now, the Colts play the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Titans. Again, it's really close. Uh, tentatively, I'm picking the Colts to make the final AFC wildcard spot because they simply have a better quarterback. Um, but it's it's really it's interesting. Watch the Dolphins, the Vikings next week, the Colts and Cowboys. These are big games coming up to pay attention to. Those next week's basically going to determine the final AFC spot in the wild card. So a final a playoff spot in the AFC. So again, my my deadly dozen go as followed. In the NFC, we have the Saints, the Rams, the Bears, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and the Panthers. And in the AFC, you have the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Texans, the Steelers, the Chargers, and the Colts. That is my Deadly Dozen. That's my show, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Um, I, I don't feel good about this show. I'll be honest. I don't think this has been a great episode of the podcast. I think it's been a necessary episode. Uh, I took a week off, and you got to get back into the swing of things. I struggled with preparation very heavily doing this episode. I don't feel great about it. I think it's okay. Um, I'm going to put it out. I think it's fine. But I think Friday's episode is going to be far better. Um, I've just been occupied with school. I, I've been dying in school. I just felt like I needed to put something out because I haven't done anything in a week. And so, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm ex- Friday will be a better show, I promise. Really excited. And uh, we'll do you know, pick six and a couple other things. We'll talk about Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. But more than that, I just appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know if I should have taken today off or not. I, I try not to do the show when I, I don't feel like I have anything to say. I had a little bit to say today, um, but I don't feel good. I, I normally, when I feel bad about a show, I don't put it out. I'm going to put this episode out. I think that, you know, I haven't done anything in so long. Um, I, I think I got to put something. I like shit or get off the pot. Um, but I don't feel great about this episode. I, I would love your feedback if you're listening. And uh, I promise Friday will be better. Thank you so much. Remember, subscribe, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, or whatever. Tell your friends about the show. And uh, that's it, guys. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.